And once again, we have returned the 79th time, the 79th iteration of the Grunge Bible Podcast. My name is Chris Salona, and I'm here with Ethan Shalloway. Ethan, what's going on? <laughs> Nothing much, Chris. Um, episode 79 is kind of like 1979. It's very nostalgic to our first episode that we recorded together. Yeah. You get those vibes tonight? Yeah, oh, always, Ethan. We we love this shit. And and honestly, we kind of messed up uh, doing the Pumpkins episode two or three episodes. I know. Ago. We should have we should have saved that for episode seventy nine. Right. But we're not. I mean, we're still not good at this. Yes. <laughs> so it happens sometimes. A little, you know? Yeah, a little bit of a a miss on our part. But you know, yeah, what are you gonna do right. at the end of the day? Yeah. We get the important stuff down. We deliver a new episode to you every single Monday. So uh, that's really all that matters. And um, yeah, we have uh, we're going back into the archives for this one. So this episode is going to be released on Monday, the twenty sixth of September, and that is significant because uh, we will both be uh, en route to California. Uh, we'll be hot off the heels of a front bottom show in Boulder, Colorado, on the twenty fifth, and uh, we will be en route to the uh, Taylor Hawkins tribute in Los Angeles, California, on the twenty seventh. Then we celebrate our birthdays on the 28th. So uh, no better time than to go back into the archives and uh, share a nice interview that we did way back in the month of March 2022, which feels like right. a long time ago because in many ways so I said, it is. It's a little nostalgic. We're going way back. And and, and the band that we interviewed is actually, yeah. we've been talking with them for, oh, I think, I think 2018. Yeah, that's what them. I was thinking. Um, so yeah. it's the Social Act Band, our good friends, um, in Chicago, and uh, we had an awesome conversation. They have a new album coming out, uh, hopefully spring in 2023, um, and they've been working really hard on it. They have a lot of, obviously, a lot of obstacles in getting out the album. So we have a really good, fun conversation, just talking about music and talking about this album. And I mean, they're just two good guys, Ellis and John. Like we, we love, we love them at the end. You know, they're Absolutely, great. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. John, John Cranger and Ellis Clark of the Social Act Band, and these guys have been. They're lifelong musicians. They got together back in the 80s making music, and um, they've experienced, as we'll get into, right. they've experienced just about everything uh, that the music life can give you, um, you know, the successes, the experiences, both positive and negative, the loss, struggling with different things that uh, a lot of people tend to struggle with uh, throughout the seasons of life. And um, yeah, back in March, I remember sitting sitting down uh, recording this episode. It was kind of short notice. I think we were texting with them, and they they said that, you know, hey, we're good to go for tonight. So we hopped in. It was a late night uh, for us, uh, or for me at least, on the East Coast. But I remember it being a really good conversation. And um, uh, yeah, these are just two great guys, Alice and John. And, and we've, you know, really, really appreciated their friendship over the years and um, kind of their mentorship in the music space. And um Really, really excited to share. Yeah, this it's a good one. It's a long everybody. one. I think we went about seventy minutes with this, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, this is this is the longest one in a bit uh, for the Grunge Bible podcast. But before so we get into really the episode, we do have some people to, to thank. That one, out. one last, one last time, one one last, uh, you know, trip around yeah, the sun or whatever uh, with the page, uh, shouting out the patrons. So, yeah. Yes, this is it. So um, uh, as of uh, the time of this recording, which uh, we're recording the, the pre-roll and the uh, the post-action on September the 20th, uh, we would like to thank the following top-level Patreon supporters uh, for continuing to turn these gears on the Grunge Bible podcast. And those people are Faith Bittner, Chris LSMS, Sonny Mashburn, Kayla Jean, Alexis Shannon, Marianne, Nikki Six, Release, Millie, Laura Nyreen, Captain Hightop, 
Black Hole Sean, Doug Endy, Jade Mercado, Alex Long, Rachel Corning, Fuck Soup, Darian Riddle, Jamie Lynn, What the Fuck's Up Denny's, our number one fan from Australia, Wayne Staley, Carlene Salona, Seattle 4 fanboy from New Jersey, Fresh Tendonitis, Kitty Cooper, Brother Nature, The Blue Owl, Kara Kay, Shoe the Shoeless, Eddie Vedder got me through my second divorce, and I hate your mom. So thanks as always to everybody for continuing to support uh, this podcast and continuing to allow us to have conversations with cool people like John and Ellis, uh, which we are going to deliver to you now. We are back with another interview. Uh, Chris is here with me. And on the other end, in Chicago, Illinois, we have some members from the Social Act Band. We have John Kranger and Ellis Clark. And we are very excited. We've known these guys for a while. So, guys, how are you doing over there? Doing pretty good. We're having our first uh, nice night here. It's like 70 degrees here in Chicago. So we got the doors open. Yeah. I don't know what it's like in yeah, Rhode Island. And- here in Alabama, we've had a, a good good weather for a couple of weeks. Nothing well, like, I mean, it's kind of been rainy and stuff. We get rain, not snow and cold, but um, nothing like Rhode Island and uh, you know Chicago. So, yeah, get a few tornadoes. <laughs> yeah, yep. We get a lot of <laughs> we get a lot of really heavy winds and uh, a lot of flood flood watches. I mean, it, when it rains, it rains in bunches and it just kind of comes down. I think we have one coming um, tomorrow night, um, something like that, and it just kind of. But it's good. I work in the tree, uh, the tree service business. So, um, well, it's not good, but we we get to do a lot of cleanup and kind of, uh, you know, working on storm damage. So, I guess I it keeps us working. Yeah, absolutely. So the uh, the social act band, you guys go back quite a few years. When when did you you both get together and start start making music together? What was what was that process like? How did you guys meet? And uh, what was what was kind of the spark between? between you two and in between the band what where, where did it begin for you guys uh the drummer who is no longer with us david shiki and i were in a band and he knew john the gentleman sitting to the right of me the guitar player and john was looking for a band to help him finish out a song in the studio so he hired us <laughs> to help him finish this song and it went really well in a from there on, we became a band. Uh, what, about what, what year was that? When when did you guys, uh, say you it's guys about start 80, jamming together? 86, 87. People have been born and died in that whole time. Wow. But yeah. Was it? How many years ago is it now? I don't want to think about the years. Almost, almost 40. I don't, I don't know if I should have said that out loud. Chris, we're Chris, Chris, 40. you're killing me already. There you go. <laughs> Got to do the no, I'm, I'm proud. I'm proud that uh, of our history. I'm, now, did you that, guys, um, did you guys have... Did you guys play before you guys started the band? Obviously, did you have a, a like a music career before that? Before you guys met up, or was that kind of the I first did. project that you guys um, did? I was in a band called Epicycle, which is, dates even further back. We were like a a punk band, power punk pop punk band, like in the late seventies, early eighties, and we did pretty well. And then that fizzled out, and I took some time off. I went to Europe for a while, and then came back to Chicago and. Then uh, hooked up with John via that recording session that he wanted to do. 
that song he was trying to finish. It's so funny. So just kind of like a one-off thing at the beginning, or at least you went into it kind of expecting it to be like a one-off, hey, we'll finish this song and then we'll continue doing what we're doing. But you guys just felt like you had a connection there. So Ellis, you said um, you started kind of in in the punk band in in the late 70s and 80s. So um, you were obviously, you were pretty young then. So for, for both of you, was music kind of always the thing that inspired you and what you wanted to do or when, when did your passion for music and for creating music and for playing music, when, when did that begin or what were some of the influences for you growing up? Because obviously, you know, sixties and seventies, there was so much going on and it was such a huge era for music that it probably would have been difficult to not be inspired by everything that was going on. I don't think my influences are too unique. I, I mean, like when I was nine or 10, I saw hard days night on TV. Mm-hmm. And that did it for me. <laughs> and then became a big Beatle freak. Saw Let It Be when I was like 10 years old. And uh, I knew that school was out the, dr- out the door, <laughs> much to my father's dismay. <laughs> but I spent my, my youth in my bedroom listening to records, playing guitar and trying to figure out how to play those songs. And uh, I don't remember school too well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the questions we love asking people, and, and John, you can kind of jump in and say how you got into music as well, but one of the questions we love asking people is, what was the first record that you bought that you remember buying or you remember listening to? It sounds like it might be some Beatles for you, Alice, but can you guys remember the first record you had? I do. I was actually into, when I was a little kid, before the Beatles, because Elvis Presley movies, they were on TV like all the time when I was a little kid. And, uh, mm-hmm. So I got a, a record called Flaming Star. The Flaming Stars soundtrack. Soundtrack. I thought, that was, I thought it was so cool with the Elvis Presley record. Just I'd walk around the house holding it and I'd like pretend like I was Elvis and be singing along to it. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. I don't know what John, John probably. What, what was your first? Oh, record? I had I got three records off at the same time. There were forty fives back then, which is not a gun. Uh, <laughs> the Tommy James Money Money. Uh, All right. The uh, oh my god, this had about three on the top of my head because I was thinking about it. But Tommy James was the first one, and then uh, Lord have mercy, that wasn't Rare Earth at the time, uh, not Iron Maiden. Uh, my god, on a 45 that was in the God of Vita. Who did that? Uh, the Iron Butterfly, Iron Butterfly. There we but go. But that was song was so long, they had to put the song on both sides of the 45. Right, that's correct. I remember that. <laughs> so yeah, flip it over, flip the 40, it would fade out, and then you flip the 45 over. Yeah, but that's that's what started. I just like I like music that puts in a groove. Ellis likes the the Beatles. I I love the Beatles too. But like oh, Sugar Sugar by the uh, the uh, Archies. The Archies. Yeah, I had that one. Oh yeah. Okay. I, I was, and, and then my but my my first album. I thought they were was, a real band. It was uh, Never Been to Spain, but or no, not Never. Uh, Three Dog Three Night. Dog Night. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. I won't sing here because I'll chase everybody out of here. And John, when did you start playing guitar? Oh, uh, at the age of three. Really? You know, really? I kidding. still play like that today, too. <laughs> uh, my, uh, oh, sorry, Sam. I'm getting directed here. I got to move over a little bit. Okay, boss. Uh, my grandfather, who played on a riverboat with my three great aunts, they had a band actually called The Sister Act back in the 20s and 30s. And I have the guitar in the studio. If I ever get you guys here in Chicago with a Bears game, you'll see the guitar I learned on a four-string guitar. It was like, has the date on like 1887, oh 1888. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's and, sweet. Uh, so you just would yell chords at me. I got the chords in a frame here that you would yell at me and say, D, 
see, you know, it's just a four string guitar and a little kid. And he just stuck with it. He was never mean about it. He just literally, I need routine. Ellis, the rest of the band, they all read music. I, I write it, but I can't read it. I have no clue. Really? No way. Yeah. yeah, You play by, you play by ear almost. Not even by ear. I just, I just go strictly by heart. And Ellis can play by ear. The rest of the band can play by ear, but they also, our drummer, he charts out every freaking note on the drums, cymbals, high, everything. It's the bass player. We got the most professional, awesome, well, you know, they're from big name bands that uh, came after us in the 90s, Filter and Kathy Richardson and stuff like that. So, but uh, yeah, can I mention her names? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Yeah. So if you guys get sued, I don't get sued. That's fine with me. Uh, Steve <laughs> Gillis, drummer. Matt Thompson, bassist, Ryan Tedder, who we have to ask him, we have to, all permission has to go through Ryan. That's, that's just the way it is. He's our keyboard, key, uh, keyboard, sax, harmonica, awesome vocal. I mean, he does everything. I think he does, in fact, doesn't even need our band. He just could play his own, his own band. These guys could play our music without us. Yeah, they're that good. And then uh, Grant wow. Tyre, lead guitarist, who is probably, he's been voted as one of the top three in the title, t- entire Midwest. He's phenomenal. You guys have seen some of his stuff. So for me and Ellis to be with this group after, you know, we took some time off. And uh, like Ellis mentioned, we lost uh, the guy. I knew David for about six years before I met Ellis. And uh, it was a rough life living on the streets. And, uh, and Keith, who's no longer with us either. And Aaron, our other bass player, who's no longer with us. We lost a few members to this band. And uh, so we took some time off, got our shit together. And, you know, and... Uh, found people that had their shit together. They had their shit together, but who also lost members in yeah. their bands. And uh, literally... Uh, you know, how was it, in. how was it, um, you know, making the decision to, you know, continue playing music? Cause that's talked about a lot in the genre when people pass and, and how bands continue and play with different members. And, and there's a lot of like, you know, there's a, there's sometimes there's scrutiny around it, but obviously w- me and Chris are, are vocal about, we think that it's really important for the members to con- continue to play and play the music. Um, did you guys find that hard or was that a no brainer that you guys had to keep playing after you let the time pass? And then how was, I mean, I guess you guys teamed up with another band that other, other people that kind of suffer the same thing. I mean, does that make the band that much stronger? Do you guys feel closer because of it all? I think, uh, taking some time off really helped out. I actually, I did a, some solo stuff. I did a solo album and which I thought was what I wanted to do, but doing that, going through that process and having all that, that heavy workload all to yourself made me appreciate like working with John and hmm. being in a band situation. Like I like being in a band and I like being in this band. Definitely. And, and, and your, your guys, the social acts, their body of work, um, you know, in the late eighties and early nineties, not only releasing albums, but touring and everything. And it's not like, you know, you had just gotten together and done a couple of songs and then, you know, the tragedy struck and then you took time off. There was a lot of history there in the, in the first iteration of that band. And after that time off, I know, um, you've re-recorded, you've released some of the older music and certainly you play it live. What is it like revisiting music that you created uh, you know, sometimes 25, 30 years ago. And, and has, has your opinion of um, who you were as songwriters and performers, has that changed? What is it like to look back on the old music and to revisit it now where you guys are now? What I'm, I'm really surprised at how well I think it holds. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think of, oh gosh, that's a 24-year-old guy wrote those lyrics. Yeah. There are some songs we just don't do anymore that, 
I don't think have aged well, but I'd say about half of that era, I don't feel embarrassed performing that music, and I still enjoy it. And I feel uh, that we need to get it out there because uh, we got kind of cut short. And I, so I still feel like a lot of that music's new. And there's so many, there's such a large audience out there that has not heard that music. Definitely. But that doesn't stop us from writing new music. Mm-hmm. We could just sit back and play a, the old catalog, but I'm really happy we're, we've created like a whole new catalog. Yeah, this double album coming out is going to be album eight and nine combined. So, but, you know, from my standpoint to, we took the time off and uh, we had no, we really, we couldn't go any further. We were having, you know, losing two members and then our other guitarists had some issues and I had a uh, six-year-old and a four-year-old at the time and, you know, it was just time to man up and do what I had to do. And also, uh, you know, uh, I listen to the music now from the old and I can pretty much tell you what I was on when we were doing those songs and recording because I was always getting high and that's just me. And. And I'm not speaking for Alice, but it's, uh, you know, coming up on June 8th, I'll have 26 years clean and sober. And uh, wow, it's awesome. we uh, literally just got back together four years ago and we've done an album a year. Yeah. yeah with the double, it'll be a total of five in five years. And uh, everything that we seem to have touched, uh, whether it's the graffiti artists or whatever we've come in contact with, uh, have fed off of our vibe and we fed off of theirs and we're not numb to our surroundings anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, back in the days with, I mean, everybody that was out when we were out from Chris Cornell to, I mean, I mean just, just everybody, uh, Pumpkin, everybody's lost somebody. And yeah. we knew all these people and Scott Whelan. I mean, it's just, it's, you get to a point where uh, if you can make it past that addictive realm in life, you know, uh, I think I said it the right way. Uh, then you got a good chance of making some really good music because then you got a lot of vibe to feed off that you were numb before. And uh, I think Sam, who's in the other room right now, would attest that we sometimes we'd be in here high back on State of the Union and we're sitting there and we tweak, 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 tweak. And this is before all the automation was in and everybody had their hands on the board. Oh, right. Too much guitar, <laughs> too much drums. Oh, fights and arguments and stuff. And, you know, but we were fortunate to work with Sam and other uh, Gary Loizo and Larry Stern and, uh, Talking about our engineers. Our engineers, Jeff Molesky, you know, Pumpkins did the first, uh, the, to the Pumpkins album who worked with us. And uh, it's just, you know, they hear it now and not the newer stuff coming out, but the play and relive and our drummer is a phenomenal producer. He's taken like Way the Heart Moves, Sally O, Boogaloo, certain songs of ours, and he's uh, shortened them and st- stuck them on another level. And I can't wait for this album to come out because even our older stuff that charted is going to be even better this time. On the other hand, uh, you were asking, how does that music hold for me, the older catalog? I really thought that was like the best I was ever going to get. <laughs> but this yeah. uh, this new stuff is like yeah, it's just so social sick. act in Technicolor in like 70 millimeter. It's, I mean, I can't wait till people hear this. We don't even have any. We, we haven't even been able to play rough mixes for anybody. Well, if they've gotten, uh, they've, they? they just got the hooray, hooray with Steve's play, or Grant's playing a little slide guitar in the studio and Alice is singing. And that's, that's not even finished. It wasn't even supposed to be in the album. That just, it's just the band just came up with that. You know, we do a lot of our writing uh, and, and ideas and, and put it all together, but a lot of this is coming from the Red Rock Canyon of Las Vegas and the vibe. And then Alice just takes it to another level with the lyrics and the band takes it to another level with their, what they feel in here. We don't stop anybody in this band. There's no ego. There's no uh, control. And what it is is strictly just whatever is best for the band. 
And that's from, you know, the guys from Filter and, and, and Grant and Ryan Tedder and, you know, our former, you know, I just talked to Mars yesterday, Mars Williams, who's back with the Furs again, came aboard with us and to learn from his tour over the world with the Furs. Richie went to Guns N' Roses from the Furs, so they both got kicked out at the same time. And here I get hooked up to go see them. And I brought Ellis and my whole family and went to go see Guns N' Roses. And, you know, it's just, it's just little things like that that you, you respect and accept now compared to having an ego about it and, and an attitude or just completely numb out to even know it's there. And it's just, there's a lot of good people out there right now. But good music's coming. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so you guys... We were talking before we got on, and so you said you got got back, and you've made five albums in four years. Um, and I think Chris and I, we 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 kind of pinned a date. We think we first talked to you on December first, twenty eighteen, and that's coming oh. around to. I mean, it'll be you know, it's three and a half years almost. Well, and um, so we've known you, we've known you guys since that uh, since you guys right. were doing the the big graffiti project on the this new studio. I mean, that was the, that was or that was the the new work on the studio that is. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah so. that's right. Love Hearts Open and uh, Menace and Wrestling. Yeah, Love Hearts Open, yep. And then they got, they, because of that video, we did it for, we've always done things out of the box. Off the uh, Back in the old days, we went into uh, for World War III, yes. which we're not going to play right now because there's some other issues out there on the planet, which would be a good idea. <laughs> uh, but we went to, we, we brainstormed to go to the University of uh, Columbia here in Chicago and go to the dean and just said, hey, by any chance... You know, we're on, we're on a label. It's called Paramount, which is Paramount Pictures. But we don't have a budget right now. Could you come up with an idea? Maybe we can use your Blue Room. And before you know it, we ended up with a guy named John London, who's a famous director and producer now in Canada. And they did it all for nothing. Wow. And, and, you know, by going to students and the wall, same thing on the outside. And we got publicity. And then the people that did the wall got uh, two contracts with Jennifer Hudson to go do her house in Riverwood, which is like a right. $8 million dollar mansion. Yeah. So it's just like everything we've been doing has been kind of like out of the box, but yet it still comes together. And we've never really wanted to be in mainstream, but it seems to be going that way. And it's not even deliberate. We've always been alternatively underground. Yeah. And, and that seems to be such a common theme in, in the way that people create and the way that so many excellent pieces of work are, are created is just everything it almost seems like it's on accident sometimes and like you guys getting together like hey we need to finish this song and at that point would you have known it's like you know almost 10 albums later and then when the band split up if you thought you know oh, you know that that's that you know the social act we won't get back together and then when you get back together how long is it going to go and what is that inspiration going to feel like and i think now when i listen to the the music that you guys have put together since you've gotten back together there's such a feeling of resiliency through it because you know you guys have experienced so much together as a band but also as individuals you know talking about uh, achieving sobriety raising children and just navigating through life and uh do you feel that now, when you guys go into the room and you create music, are there any themes that you feel continually come up or is there an area um, of experience that you're writing from or is it just kind of you don't know where it's going to take you when you go into the room? I just try to dig deep into my soul <laughs> yeah, and maybe maybe put that together with like things that are currently going on in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh just some deep not politically right yeah not politically we stay out of the political aspect for all, all reasons well sometimes i get into it but he always tries he always stops me <laughs> it's a tough He's tough like, road not to, everybody's uh, to gonna like that yeah. you'll lose 50 you're gonna you can lose 50 percent of somebody right. yeah the dixie chicks the dixie chicks 
<laughs> Seriously. But, you know, you, the themes right now on this, since we got back together, have been, you know, the way Ellis writes lyrics and, and, and the music and the, the ideas and thoughts is I'll present some things and I'll say, this is where it came from. And then I don't have to say anything else, pretty much. Every now and then I'll say a few more things, like on Hey, where I go crazy at the end of it, I go off. That was all recorded by accident by Sam, which we kept on there with me, like, what the? You know, just going yeah. off. We do that live. And it was all because I was trying to show energy on something, because it was a late night for us. And his girlfriend was here, and we were talking and yakking. And all of a sudden, I'm like, you know what? This is how we got to get. I got to get up at six in the morning. What are you talking about? The song where you're just going at, talking at, crazy at the end? I'm doing white rap at the end of freaking. I'm doing Eminem. That's one Meeks, of my favorites. The bunnies. Yeah, that's my, that's my favorite. Guys, I mean, what do you guys like? Trash can. can. Yeah. You're talking about trash can. Hey, hey, trash can. Yeah, I'm like, and then we do that on stage. And it's, people just love the, it's because it was spontaneous and it was there. But the whole song and concept was exactly, you know, the op opening line is sunsets and I'm all right, you know? It's that's a, yeah, I don't want to get too serious. I mean, I want to talk about, I want to talk about serious things, but in our lyrics, but I want like to inject a little bit of humor into it, make it so it's not so heavy. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Cause that's all part of it at the end of the day is just, you know, the balance. Yeah. There's, a, there's definitely a well, balance there. The song you guys got, which isn't really done called hooray. I think I tried to inject some humor into that, into some of the words. Yeah, I don't think they got the part where you're waiting in line for a Happy Meal. You didn't hear that part, right? <laughs> no, it not yet. The song. Looking forward to it, though, just hearing about it now. Yeah, I hope uh, we don't get sued for that. Can you say Happy Meal in a song? Is there a... <laughs> That's is that like right? I'm the, sure. The I mean, you could not say take the word Happy and, Lola, and Meal and put it together. To cherry Cola. <laughs> Cherry Cola. Oh, the Kinks? Yeah, in the song Lola, I think back when they released it as a single in Great Britain, they weren't allowed to say Coca-Cola, so they had to change it to Cherry Cola, I think, for the radio And they release, did. But... And then the song became such a huge hit, Coca-Cola. Like, cherry Cola. Oh, go back. Yeah, exactly. They were pissed there. that it was in it originally, and then they were like, oh, you, gotta, you guys got to sneak that in there again. <laughs> Chris, you and Ellis would talk for hours, and Steve, these guys, I'm the only guy that doesn't know, know my history on music. These guys know But you everything. heard Lola. Oh, no, I've seen the Kinks like three yeah, times yeah. at the yeah. Aragon. They're awesome. Yeah, so um, talking about seeing the Kinks, um, what are a few of the, I guess you've played with a lot of people too, but um, what concerts, say, in your earlier years when you were in your 20s or you know maybe early 30s, what concerts really stick out? Do you guys have any bands that one surprised you, um, one that lived up to the hype? You know, is there some that, you know, maybe disappointed you and that changed the way that you look at music? Like, what were some of those, you know, important concert uh, memories that you guys saw? Because I know you guys have taken in as a ton fans? of music. That we saw as fans? Or yes, as, 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 as uh, I, could, I would say both, but primarily as fans, I think before maybe you, maybe like as you were, yeah, before you were in a, a bigger band. But then, um, you know, if you can also touch on, you know, who you toured with and, and those kind of interactions. But I guess we'll go fans, fan, uh, fandom first. Uh, one time I got a front row center ticket to see Frank Zappa. And he was oh, playing nice. like, he was like playing like right in front of me. It was like it was a private concert. <laughs> At the that, was a, that was amazing. <laughs> was that the other I brought a record and I handed it to him and he signed it. But Where was that, that at? Was that in Chicago? I was in Chicago at a theater that's now closed called the Uptown. And uh Damn, that's cool. That, that, that was, probably was, I was really there. cool. I was at that show too. I didn't even know you. It was, an, it was a long time oh, ago. Yeah. I was like fourteen years old. What about oh. what about that concert? Just because he was so close and it was just Zappa, or was he like was it just something you never I seen? remember uh one thing I remember about that concert was somebody took like an orange 
crush drink in a in a solo cup or something, a plastic cup, and threw it at him. And it was like one all over one all over him and he got pissed <laughs> pissed off. So you got one of the roadies like, who threw that? You know, come up to the stage right now. So the guy did and they they threw him out. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> Yeah, but you, the music was phenomenal, of course. That was the Yellow Snow concert, wasn't it? He did that song, yeah. 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 Don't you eat that Yellow Snow. <laughs> Who else have I seen? <laughs> I've seen a lot of people. Stones. Who? Uh, I saw the original Zeppelin. Really? One night out of four in Chicago. When Bonham was still alive. Yep. How uh, was that? I got to see. That was at the old Chicago Stadium. And the week before that, I saw Earth, Wind, and Fire. So you go from one end to Quite the other. Quite a difference. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, it was, a, I think it was in February of 77. It was just before I met my wife, Sally, at that time. And uh, to sit there and the keyboards going upside down and the things they did, it was just, I was, I mean, I was buzzed. So I don't know if the keyboards were really going upside down. But I think they did. It was that song remains <laughs> the same tour or something like that. But uh, Zeppelin, Aerosmith, ACDC. All those 70s acts. Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah, 70s mm -hmm. was my influence. I mean, after I grew out of the, hey, honey, sugar, sugar, I got into the, to the hard stuff. How about, within the, um, how about within the grunge the grunge era in the 90s? Did you guys get to any, like, see any of the big four, any, any of those guys? Have you close interaction no, no, with them? Well, we got to, uh, that's where, so we like, with the, with the Smashing Pumpkins, Nine although they made, it, they made it huge. Right. We, we, did, we did several shows with the Pumpkins. Really? Um, yeah. We did <laughs> Nobody will believe this, but Nine Inch Nails actually opened up for us once. In New York City. It was so awesome. In New York City. And we met Crosby. We met, uh, we met Bing, or not. Uh, Bing Crosby. No, the, uh, Crosby still is dancing. played golf with him. And uh, what's his name? Uh, what's the little miniature dude that played keyboards for David Letterman? He was there tonight. Well, Paul Schaefer. So, no I don't way. Remember that. You know, you were drunk. <laughs> but no, it was uh, alternative life, my God. I've not. I, I still go see if, if it's Foo Fighters, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains is coming back out with Brank and Benjamin. Uh, Chevelle's actually out of Chicago, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, those guys rock like crazy. And I wouldn't call them grunge, but they got, a, they got an edge right. to them. Right. Definitely. Uh, oh my God. Scott Whelan, of course, because the guy that gave us our, the, the place we played the most back in the late 80s that got us going was a place called the Avalon. And they were in conjunction with the Vic Theater. Yep. I was still plays in a band with uh, Tommy. Tommy's a phenomenal guitarist. He used to own that. But uh, they actually gave us, we, we, it was like our home, like Martyrs and Liars Club is to us now. We, were, we could play there anytime we want and pack the house. And that's where we met a lot of these guys. I mean, it was really, Scott Whelan was good friends with Scotty Brown. He had a band called, what were they, Downtown Brown or something? Downtown Scotty Brown. We opened up for the Neville Brothers once. Oh, UB40. Yeah, we, we opened up for UB40. Eric Burden from The Animals. Uh, Robbie Krieger from The Doors. Out in California. Oh. What's cool, though, is I sent you that one post. Our last trip to Vegas, uh, about a year ago, I ran into uh, Phil Vang uh, Volk, who was the bassist for a band called Paul Revere and the Raiders. Yeah. And uh, they had about seven hits in a three-year span when Phil joined the band. He was coming in as a guitarist, as he tells me. And then uh, he, he, he was a guitarist, but they needed a bass player. And they heard him play bass, and they, they disliked the way he looked with the band, and they signed him up, and he started writing with him, with Paul Revere and with uh, Mark Lindsay. And uh, I was just in their living room just three weeks ago, jamming, uh, which I think I sent you guys. Hobnobbing. Yeah, it was, and so when we go, we're going to be going to Vegas to do our release. We're going to do uh, 
And we'll talk to you guys about that because you're going to be a part of that. We're going to do a. Well, we're going to get uh, the guy from Paul Fang from Paul. Reed yeah, he's going to come back on stage with us and play a song with us. We want to play. A, I want to play Hungry. Cool. Okay, great. So uh, the reason we want to get you guys involved with that too, because you've been really you know, good to us. And uh, you guys, I think I met both you guys uh, when I was in Portland, Oregon, uh, via the song Home, which was released on the uh, Not Too Late album uh, in 18. Uh, but. We're going to be doing this live stream thing here, and I know we've talked about stuff like this before. I know we're doing a podcast right now, but there's no doubt that we want to have you guys involved with that somehow, and they got all the equipment there, and you know, whether we fly you in, however we got to do it, as long as you don't get out of control and gamble too much and have a way to get home, <laughs> we in Vegas, uh, want you guys a part of Keep them out of the strip shows. <laughs> Ellis, this is PG, man. I hear, they have che- I hear they have cheap hotels in Vegas. <laughs> You they get, do. You they can do. get married too. Yeah, but we'll hook yeah, you up. You guys will be five, you'll be five stars. There. You can get married at the Elvis uh, Church. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. The Elvis Church. That's where you gotta go. Gotta love it. <laughs> if I ever get married again, that's I want to get married there. You've been married so, three times. How many times do you want to do? Another it? question I like <clears throat> I like to ask people of that do a lot of touring and a lot of like playing, or if it's in my sport, like competing. Um, what venue have you guys played that? And then maybe maybe outside of Chicago, maybe it is in Chicago your favorite favorite venues to play. But what are some really historic venues that you just like can't wait? Like, oh, we got to put you know the Roxy on the list, or we you know obviously we really want to play. I know you guys love Martyrs, and you guys always play that. Like, do you guys have a favorite one or a historic one that you played over the years that well, have, you, know, you always think about one. that show? We have a historic one, but it wasn't like that phenomenal. <laughs> uh, CBGBs. In New York City. They tore it down. Yeah. It's gone. They had like... It's gone. That was a really small little place. And one night we played there with like five other bands and they crammed us in there. But I mean, I'm glad that we played there. It's kind of a cool thing to have in your belt. The ironic thing is a lot of the clubs that we were hitting, the China Club, the Limelights, and, and you know, the House of Blues are still here, but CBGB's, Avalon, Vic. I mean, they're all... They I think one of the nicest kids we played... Uh, I mean, back in the old days, was a China Club in Los Angeles. That was with Nine Inch Nails. That was a, that was a blast. No, that was New York. Oh, the one in L.A. was with uh, Robbie Krieger and uh, no, Robbie, Eric, no, Eric Rob, Burden. Robbie Krieger was in California. Right. Oh. Both China clubs. All the China clubs were good. <laughs> now you see what we can't get a record done. <laughs> um, I think we played all three all, China so clubs. So are these all pretty like smaller venues and close quarters? You guys like that better? It's intimate. But we played, I mean, my favorite one ever was the Rock and the River Festival. We played thousands and thousands of people. You could see the river half a mile away, and it was just people. We played the Park West here in Chicago, park, which was a pretty big indoors, place. Indoors, yeah, but the outdoor stuff, I loved it. Taste of Chicago. This is the outdoor stuff. I just We, we played the uh, Riviera, which is a pretty big place. Yeah. True, true. My goal so is you guys think th- that, you think the intimacy is, is, you guys just obviously appreciate that. But I think, I, I think I've officially am going to build my camp on the indoors like indoor setting I, I mean i like outdoor concerts too but the indoor concerts i go to are always just so much more filling and and i feel like you can do just a little bit better with the lights usually people do like really i mean you could do great lights outside too but i feel like i'm just in it more when i'm inside yeah it's i love like what, uh, it's i love like outdoor concerts when they too, work yeah. but sometimes it rains and then it spoils the whole thing <laughs> right yeah oh yeah you see, there's, you, there's just something about it though being being inside in a smaller venue like that where you're so close with that band and and the you, sweat. You know, you're right on top of one another and I, I think that the connection that you can get between the crowd and the musicians and you know you guys on stage and us out there and the and you know standing right in front I mean that's 
that is so unmatched. I know from from my perspective as a as a fan and as a concert goer. I mean, those are some of my favorite experiences, and it's great because I mean, you guys have you guys have toured so much. I mean, I don't even know how many shows you you guys have under your belt right now. Uh, you know, whether it's in the hundreds or whatever it is, but it's it's got to be a really special thing to you know always have that opportunity. <laughs> I always look forward to more. Yeah, we can't wait. To, we're we're actually having a real struggle not having this album done just already. But if we just like I said, the, we just we just literally have another song that we just tracked on. Uh, we really want to play live right now, but if we play live, it then takes it, away from the finishing. Then the it album. puts the album yeah. away. Even, we just did an acoustical thing away, here. Yeah, we just did an acoustical thing on uh, last couple <clears> of weeks here that Alice and I are working on, and it's just simple and it's wide open, and it's going to be. I really, it's going to be like it's probably going to make the album. We'll see how it goes with the band, but it's. Something we have never done. Well, one like thing we before. should do is not add any more new songs because we said that like five songs ago. Now we got a double album. <laughs> That's how it oh, always fuck. goes. I Steve, think, our right? producer's like, no more new songs. But then they say, don't lose the edge, though. You got to keep writing. I'm like, guys, make up your mind here. Yeah. And since we were <laughs> and then sitting around, someone comes waiting. in like, oh, I have this killer idea. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta feel it out a little bit and see. And then, I mean, that's the thing because you never know which, you know, if the next one is going to be the one that really, you know, lights your world on fire and inspires you. So it's got to be a difficult thing to be like, all right, no more. We're sticking with what we have because as, I know you're as musicians, like, I want to replace that thinking. one song with this new one. That's what happens. They start playing that game. Yeah. But uh, cause Steve, our producer, had to, we had to take three months off because he had to work on another project. John and I started. Right, recording at our own studio here, and we're just, we're, we're just calling them glorified demos. You know, we're mm-hmm. not. Uh, no, we're just like, trying to put as much effort into it, but I don't think I don't know if we could release these. Yeah, we are. Maybe fucking right, we are. Hey, rock. It's John, weird. John we're working on, <laughs> dude. We we've never. You know what? The the hooray song, which Ellis and my wife said it, and, and my daughters, they thought it was like Edgar Allan Poe. The lyrics, some of the best lyrics he's ever written on this new song. They I, were dark. And you don't like dark lyrics, but I'm surprised he. Well, because we got the slide guitar going yeah, and a bright, yeah. doocy guitar going, we brightened it up. So we we balanced, buddy. I think we're meant to be together. Oh shit! Can we get married at the Elvis Church? No. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna book it the album release party and a marriage. Do you take this man? <laughs> well, to you your, guys uh... got to be here for the release party. Just, we're gonna figure it out. I whether yeah, you're throwing spears or shot puts or braining or cutting trees. Yeah, down. you've been with us too long not to be here yeah. for that. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> Do you guys have a uh, a date? Uh, do you guys have a potential like Gosh. I got pushed back? Can does, it better can be tell, out in tell September or October? It be, I mean, I'm not going to tell anybody anything except you, <laughs> which I guess is the it's world. It's going to be on a podcast now. What's the matter with yeah. you? You got to watch. Yeah, it, don't say. tell anybody. No, honestly, <laughs> we, we 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 know it's going to be at least another minimum of three months before we even get the master. We're going to go. We're going instead of California. We're going master. on the Nashville, the master. And then from that point on, it's it's the nice thing is is whether we're doing the vinyl no matter what, but the minute it's mastered, it could be distributed. Right. So, right on the internet. On yeah. the internet. So the, the so, artwork and everything's already in process. Everything's moving in that direction. So it's happening. So late gonna, late summer uh, Vegas trip is what you're saying? Absolutely. <laughs> all right. All right. I can, should do, be that. Fun. I can do that. We're there. You, you guys are um, going to have fun. One thing I wanted to ask you guys, uh, because obviously you released your first music with the Social Act Band in the 1980s. And, and the way that music was released then is obviously quite a bit different than it is now. And, and having created all throughout... Um, the time before the internet and then when the internet was just getting started and now where everything is commodified through Spotify or Apple or whatever, what are, what are your thoughts on that? Do you, do you, I guess your thoughts on the internet and, and how it impacts how people are able to listen to music and as songwriters and as musicians, um, do you think that the internet is a positive thing or a negative thing to get your music out there and to present it in such a way that 
um, you think people will enjoy it. I think it's a real positive thing. I, I love the immediacy of it all, like how yeah. you could record something and have like people listening to it like within the same week. Uh, I'd, I'd, I, but I, I'm saying that as a record collector because I, I love vinyl and I have lots of vinyl. Right. So I think we've kind of reached this point where we have two worlds. You're either somebody who listens to the internet or somebody who collects vinyl, which means... Which is strange because the CD disappeared. Who thought that would have happened? I still but, got a cassette. Yeah, eight <laughs> track, old school. <laughs> oh, that I'm, I do love the physical aspect of the vinyl right. and the artwork, and uh, but you, but to survive, you're going to have to learn to love the uh, the internet as well. We wouldn't have met you guys without the internet. <laughs> yeah, even though true. you guys were there, and, and since we discovered you guys were at, I mean, one message, 15, yeah, eighteen thousand away people. from anybody. Right, Basically. you guys just went crazy. It's like I mean, you can make records and stick them in record stores, and then just sit there. You know, the inter the internet's unbelievable. The negative in the internet for musicians is the fact that we could do a million three hundred thousand downloads in unknown and get a, a check for about a buck forty. Yeah, yep. exactly. And that, that's, that's, yeah, that's really one of the big injustices, I think, and why right. I think it is so important. And and I hope that you know, Ethan. Like our generation that we're still appreciative of that and if we find something that we really dig you know to purchase a physical copy from the band whether it's vinyl or cd or whatever because i, I still think that's probably the most effective way to support because like you said you can get a million streams and you're going to get a, a buck or two maybe just because of the way things are structured yeah well you don't you don't do this because you're hoping for that i i mean i'm, right. I'm so past that i do this i'm just i do this because i love it like we can help you guys with your taxes. You can use some of our losses as your write-offs. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't say that. We might get. I mean, I don't think there's any. I'm. I don't think there's any money anymore left in, no, in recorded it's, music. It's it's really, which is a very strange thing to say. Now, I'm sure there's some people out there who disagree with me, but unless you get your song on like a hit movie or something, right? Yeah, it's really you got a tour. The landscape like a, has certainly changed. Certain tour and merch. Since that's where it's you at. guys started creating. There's a little bit of everything put together, you know, the T-shirts or the, the records and the concerts and a little bit of those pieces of pie all together make hopefully one bigger pie. But selling recorded music, I don't know. <laughs> well, we kind of learned, right when we were first getting back into it, uh, we had finished a project and the kid, the 19 or 18-year-old kid who was going to school at the time, he was going to a Jones Academy. And that's where him and Chance became good buddies. And they, act, they actually were next door to the building we're going to be shooting a video in that we own here in Bucktown. And he's the one that got us into the whole aspect, unless you tour and have merch, or you got $300,000 to put in to YouTube and, uh, you know, Spotify and pay them to play your music, you know, good luck. Right. And right. obviously you see where Chance is right now and uh, where he's at. And Dylan's out and he brought him out to California. So he does all his merch now out in California. It's his own manufacturing plant now so we learn from kids i mean this kid is a kid and he came to me and said you know this is what you need to do and we took that advice and have been running with it ever since because we realize and keeping communications open with the smaller stations because we got our big breakthrough college music the cmj college music journal i believe it was called back in the late 80s and uh they were just it was you don't have to pay for anything you just had to make sure you had to make phone calls and this whole band would sit there when david was still alive and we sit in the other building that was behind us here. It was another warehouse that we had. And we would make phone calls every night to radio stations in person. Like, we're talking to you. We do that on the old rotary dial-up with a freaking cord on it, you know, yeah. and just say, 
And, and the problem with that is the good thing is, is that you meet a lot of people. But the bad thing is, is that these college kids are in and out of those rotations from music director to just a DJ. And all over shit's put down is gone. You ask for the music director and you talk to them like on a Tuesday. And then when you call back on Friday, they change music directors. <laughs> yeah, they got a totally different uh, one. So who am I talking to now? One. You're in a band called Social What? <laughs> Oh, well, Social distortion? What? Like, yeah, oh, we yeah, just, we we just spoke to Yeah, I like it. Oh, the last music director, he took the CD. He has it. Well, you'll have to send us another one. Yeah. It was like that. But, you know, we also had the, the fun stuff is the fact, even like with, uh, who's that cello player? Eric, what? Eric Rumschneider. Where he went, after we were done with our tour, he went off, then he go with the Pumpkins and did a couple things with them on cello. Then he went from there with uh, Courtney, Kurt Cobain. Courtney Love. Courtney Love. Love. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, this and our other sax is out with Brian Williams. Marge is back with the fur. I mean, you just meet a lot of really cool musicians, and they're going to be coming in to do a special track on Way the Heart Moves, which is Paul Von Mertens, who's on tour right now still with Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys. And uh, he's going to come in and lay down because he was with us when we wrote Way the Heart Moves. So it was our drummer's idea to bring him in, and he knows our drummer well. And, and then Marge, we're going to get into the song. And so, so what was the question? There wasn't. I'm just talking oh. shit. <laughs> Sorry, boys. I'm giving you shit. <laughs> no, absolutely. And and I think it's really cool um, looking back now, obviously. You'd be hard-pressed to have found a better town for music and alternative music and what you guys were making than Chicago in the, in the 80s and in the 90s and everything. So the fact that you guys are right there in the mix, I mean, the experiences that you had and like like you've been saying throughout this chat the uh the people you were able know. to come into contact with and and create and share a stage with i mean chicago's really uh probably one of the better uh the better scenes to have to have existed and really cut your teeth in i don't know i mean you you probably know better than we do because you're on the outside looking in i mean we, do, we just we, we've been here the whole time but yeah, i've always wondered like, normal to you <laughs> that's true. I, I always wonder like if we had been in Los Angeles in the 80s, would it have been different? You know, mm -hmm. But our manager came from Los Angeles. Our record deal came from Los Angeles, Paramount. So we still had, what's nice in Chicago is just the scene here. I mean, his, his whole scene, and when we're not together, and he plays his other music and stuff when he, when he goes out and stuff. And, you know, I do the same thing, and we literally have this, when we get together, it's, it's all business, and you will not find a tighter band than us. I mean, we rehearse. We rehearse like we're playing live. Even when we're recording, we act like we're on stage. Just because it's not that you're acting, but if you don't let the full soul out to, to captivate what you're playing, you're going to lose it. Yeah. It's just, it's, and Chicago has that. I mean, the blues, the Kingston Mines. Right. That was, that's all I did was play blues. When I was 15, 16, illegally getting in there, playing guitar. I was a runner. I haven't, I lived I haven't the been to, was, to enough blues clubs, and I've lived here my whole life. But we just implemented on uh, <laughs> Lost and Found. We do a blues entry now. Right. Oh, my God, the crowd just, we did that for the first time. I think I sent it to you guys. Yeah, we just start out this really cool, dirty blues thing, you know, and, and then we kicked into our our alternative music. It was just like, what a, what a connection, you know? It's it's all connected together. Stevie Ray Vaughan, all this stuff is just really tightly connected. Yeah, and that's the thing. Everything is so connected. And and having yeah. been music fans for your whole life, it's probably really difficult to even just pin down what your individual influences are because, like you said, it's just this huge melting pot of different experiences and tastes, especially now with. You know, there's you two and then there's the different people that you've brought in that have become a part of the band over the last four years or so. And they all have their influences. And it's got to be a really special thing when everybody pulls those together and creates. And and like what you were saying, John, I mean, I think the one thing I see you guys live, I, I hear the songs that you cut in the studio and, and the disciplined playing and just everyone's playing so honestly and 
there's just such great communication and cooperation between all elements of the band. I think that's something that's really special. I think the word is a synergy. Yeah. Is that the word? Absolutely. If I'm using the English, right? Yeah. Well, with Steve and Matt and Grant, they play together all the time. They get hired to play out. I mean, they can chart, they can play the, the Michael McDermott. I mean, they're out there with big wigs. We learn more from them. Yeah, we do. <laughs> they like us because they're always doing other people's music. But when they're with me and Alice, we play our music, you know, yeah. as a band. And there's a big difference in the vibe. I mean, they're phenomenal musicians. It, this is the best music I've ever played with. I can honestly say it's the best band we've been in. Our first rehearsal could have been, we could have been our, our show. could have been a gig. Yeah, it was that tight. I mean, they came charted. They could pull out a notebook and it's charted. He's got the click track in his room. Like our drummer, David, bless his soul. The engineers would say, Dave, do you know what a click track is? <laughs> if we don't, if we don't That's show me. That's if me I don't show up, to a, if I don't show up to a rehearsal knowing my own song with these guys, I look like the laughing stud. Yeah, yeah, you <laughs> we got to rehearse. They'll, they'll know your tunes better than the and he's you right. do. We'll rehearse in here with Sam before shows but me and else we get together first me and him and we'll work on the parts and then we'll work on the vocals and then we'll bring in grant and tetter and work on more harmonies and vocals which we're really getting good at which this band hasn't even begun to tap into that before we even get with grant master grant and steve gillis because they are so freaking professional we have to we got to be ready to go like that they don't want an hour of bullshit you know they just write to it let's do it yeah, we got time. the vibe here's the energy right i mean because you lose your energy it's like they say yeah. if you're gonna well, I mean, you're 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 an athlete it's you know i taught martial arts 35 years the first thing we tell people is make sure you breathe in control your heart because those first 30 seconds that you lose is the most important energy you'll ever have in a fight or in competition mm. all i gotta say is if this is our last chapter then we're going out with the best band we ever had bingo yeah it's not our last chapter <laughs> no i was gonna say i mean it seems like the the inspiration that you guys have and how excited you are both to make new music and to perform because i know sometimes there's some musicians that you know after a while they look at playing live and playing shows as kind of a little bit of a drag and they just want to they want to write their songs and put them out and that's it but it seems like you guys have the whole package together and it's stronger than it's ever been uh both as individuals and then certainly i think you take that passion and when everybody gets together because they all you all have that passion it's really a really really special thing i you know i couldn't imagine um that this would be it just having this conversation with you, well, you two at this point pandemic great, almost did that <laughs> the great thing about the, the band now is anything we do in the studio i'm confident we can go do it live and make it sound just as good as the record with this band i mean i, I keep repeating myself but that's that's very exciting for me yeah, it's like there's nothing off limits when you take the stage because you, you you're that confident in in everybody's ability to to be on the same page and to present it in the best way. Absolutely, it's it's, it's, a, it's a vibe. You get up there and it's like you were talking about smaller venues. Uh, sometimes we'll have a, uh, a Cheech, our other violinist, is on a recording who's now in California. But we ended up hooking up with Annie Harris for three or four shows here in Chicago and. You know, I play wireless guitar, and I've been doing that ever since me and Ellis met. I like to jump in the crowd and just hit people yeah. with my guitar, and if they're girls, I'll let them play my guitar. <laughs> but the guy <laughs> get out of my way. The last time we had a guy there spinning around like Spider-Man for a long time. He was phenomenal. He got the crowd going. I forgot his name, but he was there from, he got a, a free ticket off a radio station or something, and that was just like maybe a few months ago. But uh, it's, just, it's just the intimacy and the communication, and the band will call if we're, if we're not right on, on, the, on the count, to get back into a, a part because I'm off stage or whatever, or I'm doing something stupid out there or someone else is doing a solo and it goes on longer. We just go with it. No one ever even knows if we've made a mistake or have gone on too long. It's no clue, which is good. The old days, 
There'll be fistfights and arguments. And, You're drinking too much. And, rah, 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 or falling through the drums or hanging out in strip clubs. It was all crazy shit back then. Now yeah. it's kind of like the pandemic almost. I mean, it's just the reason the double album's coming out is because we were supposed to be getting out of here and going to Europe. And time ended up tracking uh, number 25 for us. And Innocence, 13. We were doing, having a great role in the beginning of 2020 then. I mean, we're very comfortable in the studio, too, so when the pandemic came along, we just it looked, didn't, like, freak me out totally because I love the studio. And we just kept writing, but it, but we would have been out two years ago. This double album would have never happened, so everything happens for a reason. Yeah. This music would not have been here if it wasn't for the pandemic. It started when the uh, that Kobe Bryant helicopter crash. Remember, we talked about that with the Meditation Rock out in Red Rock, and it was just heartbreaking to have radio, hear the crash, and then get into the canyon, and all of a sudden you lose all internet and telephone in the mountains there, and to sit there and take take just thinking about a family that lost all their daughters you know i mean all these players and it was like that was the beginning of some hurt because i'm a retired coach also but then to come back to chicago and realize we ain't going anywhere and then to take that pain and turn it into a positive beautiful song for a beautiful life you know and that's we haven't stopped that's 17 18 songs later uh, the pandemic if there's another variant coming around that might be another album coming out well, as soon as <laughs> exactly, i think we're done yeah, uh, there's more there's, there's always there's always more coming down the pipeline in terms of uh in terms of those songs and and that's got to be something that's exciting for you too as well because um you know the last four or five years how much you've created and to know that there's still more out there and there's probably musical areas that you're excited to continue to explore I try not to think of any songs I've written before when I write a new song. Otherwise, I won't be able to write a new song. Yeah. Just try to think of it all being totally fresh. But our vocals, I mean, I got to tell you, with Grant Ty and, and Tedder, I mean, we got four people singing, three besides Alice before. Uh, these harmonies is just adding so much flavor to the guitars and to everything else that's going on. And and it's just, you know, you can go out and see the Foo Fighters and Pearl Jam and everybody you want to see. And they're, I mean, I go see them every time they're here. But... It's the vocals. When it comes down to it all, you can play all the best music you want. But if you don't have a lead singer like we got, you know, or, 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 or David, you know, and whoever knew Dave was going to be a lead singer, you know, it's just the way right. circumstances presented themselves. And who knew that Taylor could sing as good as David, you know, and he's behind playing the drums and they switch. It's just this band can do that. It's really that talented of a band, which is nice. And it's not an ego thing. It's just a comfort zone to know that, you know, you're you got a good driver. You know, we got a good lead singer, and that's where it starts. You know, as long as I don't go horse. All right, let's not talk about horse. Sometimes we rehearse so much during the week, then we get to the gig. I was like, ah, we rehearse too much. <laughs> yeah, that's always a dangerous thing when you uh, practice a little too hard before the competition. That happens with us. It's like you want to like fix everything and, and make sure everything's so tight, but then you leave, you kind of take away some energy that you need for the show to make it, um, you know, to really set it apart. So. I know, I know what you're saying when you when you say he'll, that. He'll book a rehearsal like the night before a gig, and uh, I'll be like, and then we'll, what I, I I try to tell myself like on the second on the final rehearsal, just I don't sing hard. No, because uh, at that point, sing, as, as our co old coach would say, the hay is in the barn. At that point, what are you gonna, you know, what are you gonna fix completely? Like you know, the hay like is in that. the barn. All the all the practices before that are what make it. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Trash can. I like Hayes that. Hayes in the idea. barn. Like that. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Hayes in the barn. Right here. Yeah. Hayes in the barn. You know? Hey, hey, hey. But I mean, we do that also because of the fact that these guys are so busy with other gigs that we they 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 can Actually. play with just charting the music, but they do like the vibe that we bring. And if Alice doesn't give 100%, we don't care. We know on the stage it's going to happen. Right. But we have to work on our chops too. And we got, and then we always find something new that we, every time you do something, 
Yeah, just a little bit more of a sprinkle to that uh, frosty. Singing is kind of scary because it's like a physical thing, whereas a guitar, you know, you're always gonna be able to play it. What are you saying? We're sissies? What are you talking about? Like, you know, <laughs> singing. If you're not, if you're not, if you've burned your voice out, you've burned your voice out. Right. So you gotta, that's be, you gotta it, yeah. be careful. <laughs> do you guys? Uh, do you guys get nervous before before a gig still, or or what, what's that like? The preparation process. Do you, you you still feel nerves when you when you step out on the stage or? Not with, not with these guys, but, but I, I get nervous over logistics, just getting from my house to the place. Yeah, making all like all the all the shit beforehand, making sure that goes right. That so you scares can do the me. Like I'm gonna, do. I have one time, <laughs> I had this huge gig when I was doing one of my my solo projects. I forgot my guitar. I remembered every other twenty million things, and I get the soundtrack, and I forgot my guitar. So what'd you do? <laughs> yeah. So what next? I, I went into a state of shock. And I borrowed somebody's <laughs> guitar for sound check, and they and I went home and got it after sound check. I was oh like, my I, gosh! Your heart I, was probably in your throat when you when you showed up. You're like, where where is it? Like, I need this thing. Yeah, I John, was numb. Where'd you put the it, John? The sound <laughs> guy came up to yeah, me and grabbed me and said, "Now just relax. Here's a use this guitar and go home and get it." I was like, I can't believe that happened. No, we got That's the logistics. We That's got stories. If you guys under the three, we got stories about how we. Had some gigs where they people weren't too friendly, and we'd have a couple ideas on how to stink them out and stuff, and just only the band knew what was going on. And you have to tell me those stories. Oh, sometime. you remember we were it was enough's enough, and the sound guy was an asshole. We had all those tacos that night, and I, <laughs> I said, you know what, this guy's been an asshole. So I literally winked at Sean the drummer, went over by the sound sound stage guy, and I let out a wanker that you couldn't hear because we were jamming, and it stung so bad. I thought my underwear was gonna stick to my butt, and that dude had no <laughs> idea what hit him. You can cut this later, but. That's one of them. And the other was uh, Jimmy Buffett, who fucking broke the string on my guitar, comes to our show. This finishes a sold-out two-nighter at Poplar Creek. Be careful what you say about Jimmy Buffett. They're going to cut this. They know he could probably they? do things for our career. Jimmy it. Buffett? With the margarita, maybe. <laughs> but he broke the only string. He used my guitar to do a Margaritasville, and it wasn't even his crowd, which is fine. It was all good, our manager. But I had no other guitar. I had to it. play a five-string yeah. guitar Jimmy that was Buffett out of tune. He didn't care. I got a free Jimmy Buffett concert. Yeah, this dude was happy. I'm like, this guy. <laughs> yeah, two saying, sides of the story. <laughs> at least say you're sorry, but he didn't do that. So, fart on him next time too. Don't forget, cut this shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's the ultimate way to get back at somebody. <laughs> but you guys, talk about you guys for a second. Can I ask? Can I interview you for a second, there, Chris? Absolutely. Later How on. did you and Ethan meet? How did you guys meet? So How we, we met? met. Yeah, we met. Um, we were both uh, college athletes. Ethan's a, he was a much more and still is a much more accomplished athlete than I am. So we were both uh, track and field athletes at the University of Pittsburgh together. Uh, and we only spent a year together and then we transferred to different schools. But uh, that was, uh, what was that, Ethan, eight years ago, nine years ago? 2014. Yeah, 2014. And we've just Fall been real, real good friends ever since. Spring of, uh, is it spring? Fall of 14, yeah. Yeah, fall so, of 14, yep. Yeah, and, and just like becoming friends, we, you know, just noticed we had a lot of similar music interests and we were passionate about it. And uh, he plays drums. I don't I don't really play any instruments. It's something I've... You play guitar. You yeah, play I'm guitar. I've seen you play guitar. Playing, you don't, you don't have for to like be good. Three or four years, yeah. We played a show together. Yeah, that's true. You did? I mean, he, last year, last summer, he came down to uh, watch a competition and hang out at the... Uh, at my homestead back in Pennsylvania, and, and he brought his guitar and played his first live. First, jammed play, he jammed bit. his first live because he'd been Chris. playing a lot through the pandemic. And I was like, "Chris, have you ever played with somebody?" And he's Never like, did. "No, I've only." He's like, "I've only played with myself." And I was like, "Oh my gosh!" I was like, 
you need to bring your guitar, come over, and we had my old boss. Um, he plays guitar, and he was like kind of my. He's older. He was actually in my dad's youth group, but he was growing up, and so he he loved my band in high school, and he would follow us around. But uh, he would he would jam with us, and he'd step in when cer- certain members couldn't play. He'd play bass, and he could sing. He could play guitar and stuff. And anyway, so I was like, got to play. So me, him, and uh, Chris, we we jammed that night, and we called ourselves Merchant Copy. That was our band name. But uh, nice. he'd never played with somebody. I was like, playing with other people is the best part about music in my in my do, mind. Do you have a video of this? Do you have a recording of it? We have. We don't actually. Uh, maybe we have some raw. I think we probably maybe. have some raw like iPhone footage of it. Uh, Dude, that's just us, us in the podcasts, barn. We man. actually we've been we've been threatening to post some some videos of some old stuff because Drew, our producer, he was my guitarist and in, in my band for or our band all through high school. And then a little bit in college we played, and we would come back and play shows for Christmas and, and summer anytime I'm back for an extended period of time. And he's an excellent, excellent guitarist. Um, so we play whenever we're together, but, um, you know, it's just not as much anymore. But it's going to come back. I definitely, I have some things that, I mean, I, w- I want to keep playing. I hope that Chris, I hope you keep playing, Chris, and then. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, yeah, you never know. You never know. Yeah. yeah. How often do you guys it's see fun. each other? How often do you guys get together? They don't. They're they're miles apart right now. You, never, you ever hang out? Yeah, besides? we usually we're able to get together. What do you say, Ethan? Maybe like four four times a year, maybe for a couple well, of days here and there. Obviously, I guess it was the, I mean, for a little bit it was tough with our school schooling and whatnot. But now that we're uh, out of school, we've we've made a, made more of a point to get together. We've actually had we were together a couple of weeks ago, um, and we're planning something for you know the summer and then in September. So. We got a few things coming down the pipe. We want to do a. You guys will love this. Uh, maybe maybe you guys can come to the show too. But we're trying to get some tickets to the Pearl Jam, um, the Pearl Jam tour. We're we're looking at a few different places right now. We have some. We're hoping to get some to Nashville because that's pretty close to me. But they're gonna play in Nashville. We wanna we wanna rent out a bar and do like a a grunge Bible meet and greet or do a live podcast or do something. So maybe you guys should be there and you guys, you guys could play some music or something. And we want to do like some sort of get together, all, all get the the music community together. When's, uh, when's Pearl Jam there? I think September, September 16th or something. 26th. If Ellis is is right, we may not, (laughs) if we keep writing, I mean, we may be in Nashville mixing at the same time. I was going to say, guys, you guys, you guys oh. really haven't mastered yet. Because <laughs> we're going to Nashville no matter what the mix. Normally it's out in California, but at Lurson, but this time it's I want to play Nashville, though. That'd so do awesome. I. Yeah, that'd be... That'd be we, we Eddie Vedder lives in Chicago, out. by the way. If you guys well, play you know, Nashville, I'm definitely there. It's two hours away from me, and it's a straight shot. Well, I mean, what'd you say? Eddie Vedder's where? Eddie Vedder has a place, has an apartment here in uh, Lincoln Park. Oh, yeah, he's got money. I believe that, that yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he's seen just going out to the bars. Well, Ellis just had uh, Jim Bellucci on stage with him a couple of weeks ago. Did you know that? Oh, no, no way. He ju- <laughs> well, now you do, but I mean, he's doing his, he does. Uh, I, do a, I do a George Harrison tribute once a year. Call oh, it, I call it My my Sweet George is what it's called. I like that. And uh, this year uh, we, it was packed and uh, Jim Belushi showed up and he jumped up on stage and played harmonica on a song. That's awesome. I'll send you the video. That's it's on YouTube, actually. Just look up My Sweet George. Everybody's trying to be my baby, and you'll see it. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah, you got to keep, keep the Beatles I, tradition alive. I'm taking you. the... Yeah. Such a young, hey guys, do, you, do you guys have a favorite Beatle? That's the, that's the question. 
No. Okay. Yeah, least do. favorite. Least favorite? No. No, favorite. Little, favorite. Little, favorite. Little. John doesn't even like the Beatles. Sure I do. Do you like the Beatles? Yeah, if I'm not doing LSD. Yeah. <laughs> no no Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, huh? That's my kids used to sing that song. I trained them how to sing that one. I had a, do- a cat named Lucy, and we'd sing that song all the way to grammar school. <laughs> Did either of you like guys get to Beatles. see uh, Pink Floyd in concert? I, oh, my God. I've seen him five, no. five times. Really? But Roger Waters is touring this year. Yeah, I'm not going to see Roger no more. He pissed me off. He got too political. <laughs> yeah, he, we last show, he was here like four years now. ago. He got so political, he just... The crowd was booing. It didn't matter what side you're on. They were just like, just stop. Now, David Gilmore, he doesn't get like that. He just rocks the shit out of that guitar. He's a but hell you can of see a why those two don't get man. along. You know, he's phenomenal. And he's got a great little Instagram following. He he's plays from the heart. He's always on there. But there's one thing about Roger. He wrote half the songs. Well, yeah, but so did David did the other half. <laughs> he wrote the lyrics. I don't know. I, I just, I look, at. I still like Pink Floyd. I literally... I've seen I've seen him at Soldier Field when they did the the uh, the animals tour. I mean, I just mm-hmm. everything about. I remember hearing Time for the first time. Uh, not Time. Uh, yeah, Time. Is it Time? Ticking away the most time. Of a dull day. Yeah, that's Time. Yeah, uh, and I was so freaking. High. It was like 1972 yeah. or 73, and I was like smoking some. You know, you had some really good Mexican weed when the polyester shirt you wear and had burn holes in them everywhere. Yeah, you guys would <laughs> know about that because good. back then in the 70s was just. Colombian and Mexican weed with stems and seeds and pops in your, you could tell who smoked weed because look in their car seat, there's burns everywhere. Yep. Now yeah. is it, you were on your way and you throw yeah. some Pink Floyd on. I'll say, on the way to the Pink Floyd concert, yeah. I was just ticking away the moments that made up a dull day trying to catch up yep. to that song, but I won't sing Damn. another song. I'm jealous of that. I'm jealous of the, the uh, seeing them back in the day. That's oh, good. Emerson You've Lake seen and some Palmer, good shows. Frank That's Zappa. Awesome. Yeah, Emerson Lake and Palmer is probably one of the best. In fact, the best show I've ever seen was Led Zeppelin. And I told this to Alice about five years ago. I took, I got tickets to go see Queen with Adam Lambert. Oh, yeah. My wife, my wife's never liked Queen. And I always thought they put on, I've seen Freddie Mercury and it was just phenomenal, just stage presence. So I almost kicked her out of the car on the way down there. And yeah, honey, I said that, kicked you out of the car. You can keep that one in there. Uh, <laughs> and we get there and they did this, uh, is it a holographic or a monograph? What do they do? That uh, holograph. Holograph. It was a hologram. Where yep. first off, he, he doesn't, they started the song out and then he just kind of stopped and said, I just want to tell you, I'm honored to be here and I can never fill Freddie's shoes. And then Freddie pops into this hologram and they start singing a duet together. And you just had goosebumps. I'm like, it's just the imagination that Adam Lambert had, not only for his talent, but the respect of what Freddie had set on the grounds. And, Brian May steps into it. He's in between the hologram. It was just, and then all of a sudden he just, on the second song, he just turned around and said, fuck you. And poof, it just disappeared. You know, That's awesome. you felt that for a week. It was, I mean, it was literally one of those dreams you had that you noticed, you know, you still felt the next day. That's cool. Wow. That's really cool. So if you guys, um, so we'll wrap it up and we'll ask a few grunge topical questions um, because the people need to know, like, what is your favorite Pearl Jam album? What do you guys have in we your have car? What, yeah, what is favorite what is your favorite, favorite, question coming favorite, out favorite grunge band? Favorite, you know, put the singers up head to head. You know, what do what do you guys give us some superlatives for the for the grunge time? What's your favorite albums? Uh, from the grunge era, like the early nineties. Yeah. Um. Wow. I mean, I like I like Nirvana. Is that, <laughs> does that make you angry? No. Oh. <laughs> hey, John, you mad about that, John? Didn't they have a thing like Kurt and uh, what's his face? 
What was that one hit, the big hit album that Pearl Jam had when, when they... Was it 10, their debut? Yeah, I mean, that. who didn't like that one? That was... Pretty, yeah, Kurt, yeah, Kurt Kurt, Kurt, and Pearl Jam, they went at it in the press a little bit oh, back yeah. then. Yeah. We didn't consider them to be grunge. He didn't think that was real grunge. Yeah, exactly. He thought it was too, yeah. he, he thought it was too commercial. I don't know. No, not commercial. Just there was a big rift between, yeah, Eddie, they did not get, Eddie was more of a jump in your face, carry me around, I'll jump 50 feet up in the air, and Kurt was just in the cigar, cigarette and the guitar in his mouth and like, yeah. fuck you. And that, and that that also was one of the things I, I think a lot of Nirvana fans and, and maybe Kurt to an extent felt the Pearl Jam, they were too commercial or they, you know, had they sold they, out. They yeah, said they were sold they just out. Just kind of jumped right. in on the coattails of everything that was going on because it was it was such an underground scene in the eighties and then Pearl Jam just shows up and they get together and boom, you know, the, the skyrocket to the top of the world. But I mean, they're creating good music. It doesn't really matter, I think, how you get there as long as you're having fun and you enjoy it, I think. It's weird to think uh, what would have happened there. Nirvana had Kurt Cobain lived. I mean, yeah, but it wouldn't have Foo Fighters. Would, would they have sustained that level of popularity? He was. Yeah, too I always high. wonder about that. Seems like gone solo, was, maybe, or what? What would have happened? Seemed like he was getting kind of bored of the whole thing. Yeah. He wanted to try something else. See, one of my all-time so. songs that gets so so underrated uh, by the Foo Fighters is "I Am a River." Yeah, I mean, the, I love that the song. Essence of the lyrics and writing about the, you know, the basement uh, studio he was at in New York City at the time and just everything about what was going on in their life. It was just, I don't know if you know what song I'm talking about. It's just called I Am A River. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's kind of like, people just don't even know what's on there. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's not a typical Foo Fighters song, but it's got some really good lyrics and some great music. So you guys are huge uh, Pearl Jam fans? Yeah, I would, I would, I would definitely known, say known so, to be. yeah. Yeah. Chris, Chris, known to be Chris. Yeah, we've seen him. We see him twice. They're the one, the, the one grunge band that we've seen. Um, we've both seen him twice now. Weren't alive for a lot of them, right? I was gonna say it's hard to see the other ones, of course. Ouch! Did you see? Uh, you ever met him? Anybody from Pearl Jam? No, nope. That's, not yet. It's on the list. That's what we're hoping. We're hoping to be interviewing Pearl Jam right after you guys still uh, to come. And I don't know. <laughs> this will probably make make you guys feel old, but I I was I wasn't born until 1996, so I uh, I missed the train a little bit. Obviously, in the early 90s, I wasn't alive for it. So check his ID. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, can this carnage. guy drink? <laughs> yeah, yeah really. I think he can drink now. Oh my God! My son was six years old at that point. Holy <laughs> crap! Yeah. Oh. Oh, no, no. Crazy. But I mean, I just, awesome. the only reason I brought Dying the River part and just that whole, because that really, that, that's not the Foo Fighters that I'm familiar with. I don't know yeah. if that makes sense. And that, that album one. doesn't really get looked at, you know? And it, it's sad because I think it's probably one of the better albums. I think over time it's going to end up sticking up even further up, you know? What was the last Pearl Jam album? They just came out with one in 2020 called Gigaton. Um, and they're actually, I think just recently, they, they, uh, Stone Gossard, the guitarist, said that I guess they're getting back together and they're maybe going to put another one out here in the yeah. next year or so. But yeah, last one was a couple of years ago. When you say get back together, did they take a hiatus? Or did oh, they no, no, up? no. They're Can't still together. It. They're just getting back in the studio to maybe oh, cut right. another album. So, and how'd you feel about that last record? Uh, I, I think like most Pearl Jam fans get pissed with the newer stuff because, like, oh, it's nothing like they used to be in the, you know, in the 90s. But, and, and you guys probably have an opinion on this you can't expect a musician to create something that they created in their twenties when they're in their fifties now, because people change and their experiences change. And, 
I think it's hard to play the comparison game. And maybe you guys have an opinion on, you know, the stuff that you're writing now versus back then. And um, I, I think everything happens at a certain time for a reason. And, and, and you have to allow artists the ability to evolve musically and, and lyrically. If you don't, it's gonna get boring. And you're just gonna right. Stop you can't doing be just it. doing the same album. I mean, if you if you guys went to the studio and made the same album uh, nine times over since 1986, I mean, you guys wouldn't be having any fun. And you have to explore different areas and and talk about different things in your music. I think and, that's kind of what happened that. to Kurt Cobain. I think the label is pressuring them yes. to make another Nevermind record, mm-hmm. and they did In Utero, which I guess wasn't quite as commercial. Or- yeah, well, the they, they employed uh, Steve Albini, who uh, I think he has Chicago ties, and he he's, no, he, he still does. That. He's right down the street here, and they made that. him remix the album. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I wasn't like I didn't care the the album before the one you just mentioned, uh, Lightning Bolt, or whatever. Yeah, I just something yeah. was to me something was missing. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I feel similarly about a lot of their newer stuff. I, I I'm more captivated by some of the older stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I just think there's just so much more emotion in some of the older stuff because it was their, you know, their first go at it and they were fresh and I think they were angry and they wanted that opportunity. And, and right. you know, as you They're get hungry. older and I think as you attain success, it's hard to not have that, not to say it's a negative impact, but you know, it changes perspectives, I think. And as you get older too, you have families and you lose people or your kids grow up and, you know, it, I think it affects every part of your life. If you make a million selling record, then you go a year later the label's like all right time to go now that you're rich and famous now it's time to go make a second album yeah are you going to have that same i don't know what's your mentality going to be like yeah it's a hard act to follow it's a hard space to access again but But look at the boxing ring you're looking at when you're looking at the pearl jams and nirvana at that time before foo fighters and scott whelan and and uh, chris cornell and alice i mean just look at what was going on back then and it was like is grunge or alternative or alternative it was just right. wasn't there wasn't no real definition and people no, were trying wasn't. to you know what i'm saying it was just yeah. kind of like which is why it's easy for me to say i it's it, from stevie ray vaughn to, to to today's music it's it's like if all fits together if you just accept it you don't yes. have to like it but just accept it yeah you know? you got, people you get way too see. caught up in the labels and, and labels are Bingo. You know, labels were like grunge for example it was just so these record companies could call something grunge so people would buy it the music right. all sounds different and like you said it's all it's all intertwined and it's all connected And if you stop caring so much about what somebody calls it and just accept it and be open to it you're gonna find out there's a lot of stuff that i think you like that you wouldn't have given a chance otherwise well look there's at- there's just the artist and there's and there's the businessman and i think yeah the tough thing is uh, the businessman wants to label things and because consumers need labels. They need like an album. They want to know that album sounds like Nevermind. They want to know the next one's going to sound like Nevermind. But what Chris <laughs> and Ethan were saying too, the whole regards to the whole aspect of what, you know, Pearl Jam and their fans, when you take a look at the whole music scene itself and you look at, look at Filter, look right. at Linkin Park. You know, I mean, look at Stabbing Westward. I mean, they weren't accepted into that so-called exactly, grunge field, yeah. but they're not they're not in there with Metallica or Iron Man. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like, where does this? So that's why I'm always like, grunge, alternative, alternative grunge. To me, it's all classic rock that has alternative grunge vibe to it. I've period. never thought about, I try never to think about any kind of label for what we're doing because right. they'll just kill it for me. Yeah, no, yeah. we don't have a label. We're... And uh, maybe that's a detriment or not. I don't know. I'd, but <laughs> no, uh, I'm, I'm it's right certainly, there with you. It's certainly a detriment to creativity, I think. Yeah. 
I agree because you box yourself in at that point, or or at least you created rules. If you don't box like, yourself in, you become so in tune with what other people want you to be, and uh, I think that that definitely puts some restraints on it. Like, uh, but look, no, you can't have strings. You can't have a clarinet. You can't have this yeah. can, or whatever. You know, that's one thing we never bet. We've had cello. Every, I mean, we did we, we've cello. Had cello yeah. Oh, in fact, they've even put one of our videos on for like 1990. Where Eric was on stage with us at the Gateway Theater and yeah. uh, playing cello, and then you know we we. Play another seven months and boom, we're done. He's off with the pumpkins. Boom, he's on with them. He's because they did a video or something. Or it's Saturday a good night. gig. You can't. Hey, he's turn it on a roll. Yeah, but it's just like you know. So when you talk about these labels, and, and the only reason I bring up Stabbing Westford, Chevelle, these guys, it's not a true metal band, but it's definitely not a true grunge band. Right. So it's alternatively between the two because the the guitar licks are sick. Oh, the yeah. drumming is sick. You know what I mean. And it could fit either alternative and it could fit into rock or hard rock, but it can't be heavy metal. So it's kind of like, you're right. People give you names to sell a product. I think the business person wants to have, wants to be able to define you because they can't sell you. Right. If they can't define you. Yeah. They have to commodify it. Right. Huh. Like for instance, uh, besides social act, I was mentioning, I was doing my George Harrison tribute once a year. Oh, that's where Jimmy Bellucci came that, by the States. That lost that. That's like, it's a cover band. It's a glorified cover band that people, but they know what George Harrison is. It sells out. You know? The place was packed. Yeah. And then we, I go back to Social Act doing the original music, and it's, it's, a, it's a harder sell, but it's certainly more very rewarding Definitely. to write original songs. But yeah. selling original songs is a tough too. one. Yeah. Well, we do do one cover every show. That's always been our trademark. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm really having this vibe. I really want to, Possibly, this is gonna be the first time Ellis is gonna hear. So maybe I told him. Uh -oh. But I would love. Here we to... go. Don't shock me. No, I'm not gonna shock you. No Bachman turning be... overdrive. No, it's Drum not roll, please. Not... What is Taking the cover? Care of business is not gonna happen tonight. Taking. No, I won't sing either. I really because uh, Tedder is he can play harmonica, and I got him this harmonica to do the the song by the Who uh, joined the band. And yeah, joined together. Joined together, yeah. and uh, we did that a couple times. We did it. It went off great. But I really would like to do our style because Steve and Matt on bass and drums. Uh, when the levee breaks by Led Zeppelin, to start out drums, bass, I, I would and love that. That would be no cool. guitar, and just do a three minute version of it, not the whole song. Yeah, and then we'll kick into one of our songs, you know, like we do with the blues going into, uh, you know, Love Hearts Open or the yeah, Middle Eastern stuff in. we do into Lost and Found. People are like, "You guys aren't a Middle Eastern man," because our intro to Lost and Found uh, is from the Middle East. It's so freaking cool, but it's also a sound check for us, right? Because we've been around long enough to know you're gonna have it takes at least sixty seconds, forty five seconds. For them to get, even though you've done the sound check and you go back to the green room for a while and you come back out, but we do these weird, crazy intros and they're, it's, it's, I think the Led Zeppelin, now you've heard it, Ellis. I had to bring it up, man. I just got there this. You go. I don't hate Led Zeppelin. What do you got? I didn't say you did. I man. met Jimmy Page once. Yeah. Just where. once? Yeah. Oh, okay. I, don't know I saw the whole band. How's that? <laughs> well, that's awesome. With, with Bonham. <laughs> with with what you, Bonham. Um, so, I what do you think about? What do you think of the idea about when the What do you think about when the levee breaks with harmonica? I think that would be killer. That would be super cool. I, don't I, I, I dig that That's song. A great song. I like that. The, the way those drums come in at the beginning, the harmonica. Yeah. I like. And that. And you've seen Steve play. You've played some of Filter's clips on your uh, Instagram yeah. page from Filter when Steve was with Filter. This live. band could do it. Oh, there's no oh, doubt totally. that Steve could crank that. Yeah, I'll, that I'll do. I like. We always do a cover of something that we like. You know, not because. Not because the public oh, yeah. wants it. Right, exactly. Hey, you guys got to enjoy it. Oh, David Bowie, Heroes. Uh, what yeah, else Heroes, you guys have done that one. That, that, that was a great, great cover version you guys did. Susie Q. 
Speaking of Susie Q, I saw John Fogarty. Oh, my God. That guy's 97 years old and still shreds a guitar. <laughs> if you ever want to see where musicians are it. today, just go to Vegas. <laughs> he played. That's where they die. They were sold <laughs> out. He was sold out. Oh, my God. I didn't realize how many hits he had. I know he, did, he was good. He didn't even write Susie Q. And he t went off to tell us the whole history and how that happened and how that gave him his big break and Creed's Clearwater Revival, CCR, you know? That was yep. it. Show my age. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Well, I think we're coming to the end of the uh, end of the interview here. I know it's getting late for a few of us. Um, guys, we've had a pleasure one. talking about all things music. Um, is there any final words that you guys want to say? Anything you want to ask us? Any burning questions for the Grunge Bible team before we sign off? I got one question. I want to know, how does it feel to be so close to those Olympics, man? I'm so proud of you guys and the way you guys, uh, Ethan, I just, it, dude, I was jacked up here in the city and being a, a workout freak yeah. and everything I do here. I was, I was javelin for you, man. If there's a word. It's, it's going really well. Yeah. Um, last year I was, I think I ranked fifth in the U S and I, well, I finished 10th wow. at the trials and, uh, we actually had, I had two roommates make the, a man, um, a, you know, a man and a woman, <laughs> Curtis and Maggie, uh, were both U S champions and made the team. So I'm surrounded by, um, I had two Olympians and, and I started off my season strong. I think I'm ranked number three in the U.S. So I'm hoping to, um, yeah, push through to Paris 2024 and keep training. And it's going really well. It's it's a it's a really fun endeavor, uh, similar to what you guys talked about. And like I think the music of uh, the journey of music is for a while you're doing it for yourself um, because you love it. And you know you obviously want to make it big, but there's a lot of like personal growth that I've experienced in the past couple of years that keeps me going. And I'm finally, you know, I'm, I'm experiencing some fruits of the labor over the years. And Chris and I talk about it all the time. And it's, it is such a, a unique endeavor. And um, I'm, I'm enjoying every bit of it. And the season's just kicking off. So we start traveling again. And um, it's, it's, been, it's been really good. So, yeah, I'm hoping for a great year and hoping to, I don't know, you know represent Team USA at, at some level. We'll be watching. I'm, I'm, I was loving it. Man. I was getting into it. And uh, Chris was excited. I was watching his posts and stuff. And uh, you guys, I, I'm grateful for your friendship. We really are. And on a serious yeah. note, uh, I honestly thought that first reach out to you guys, I didn't know much about the internet and all that stuff or Instagram. And, and I saw your message and, you know, asking questions about, you know, the song and everything else. And that's what connected us. Yeah. Uh, I almost just, just discarded that because I'm just afraid to open up anything on my phone, you know? <laughs> No, seriously, uh, and we're we're definitely really grateful for for your your friendship as well, and uh, you'll always have 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 friends in us. That's for sure. But we're gonna get you here to Chicago. You're gonna freeze your ass off in the winter, or you're gonna come to a Bears game. Something's gonna happen here. You're gonna have to get down. We're here. coming to the oh, record yeah. release show we're, wherever it is. Well, that's gonna be in Vegas. Yeah, we'll do one here. We'll do one in Vegas. But they got to be in Vegas because we got to be able to get. I want Grunge we'll Bible part of that. Screw it, Ethan. Let's go. I definitely we'll want. Both. Yeah, I want to go to Vegas. I really want to go to Chicago and, and be there. I, I love that city. So and and I feel like I haven't really. Um, explored every all the places, and you guys are definitely the people to show us. So I think we're going to we'll make that happen. Um, there's a lot of good stuff coming down the pipe for sure. Absolutely. Well, my final words are: don't forget about us. We're working on this album, and we're going to get it out as soon as we can. Absolutely. So for everybody who's listening, uh, you can follow the Social Act uh, on Instagram at the Social Act Band. Uh, as well, you can find them on YouTube, Spotify. You can go to their website, and uh, I'm sure once the uh, once the album release plans become more solidified, you'll be able to find all that information uh, through those avenues. Yeah, once the levy breaks, it'll be everywhere. Yeah, we're we're posting things on the progress of the record 
Yeah, we're so you get a board in next week. The vocals start again, and the following week we got three or four days, twelve hours a day guitars and reamping, and we'll get a lot of clips on that. And uh, I want to say thanks to Sam and Gavin here at Studio yes. Twenty Twenty Chicago, our headquarters, for setting us up with the mics and the comfortable chairs. Uh, uh, Ethan looks like he's ready to just take a nap there off that hard stool, which he had this chair I'm sitting in, but that's yeah. all right. <laughs> I and, wish I had uh, a nice chair like you guys. Uh, hey, for me, it's nice to see you face to face for the first time i know and, seriously it's been a yeah. long time coming yeah, yeah we've done a lot of that's and that's the other thing i was to say you let john human. do all the talking for you <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know Not I, tonight. Yeah, i'm a virgo i'm ocd what do you want me to tell you guys <laughs> now it's been great i've enjoyed i've enjoyed all of our conversations and it is it is in, in fact uh nice to be able to see you guys in person like this so yeah, and next time we'll totally. be you know well it, we will uh, be in person next time or sometime but i guess we're through future. a zoom call right now but that's a promise. Yeah, we'll get you backstage. You're going to come out and hang out, and we're going to have a good time. Absolutely. All right, Thank everybody. You. That was uh, John Cranger and Ellis Clark from the Social Act Band. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Thank we you. really appreciate it. It was fun. All right, guys. Have a great night, man. Thank you. Yeah, you too. Thank you very All much. Right. See you guys. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. And there you have it, the Social Act Band. Um, man, those guys are awesome. Too. Yeah. Those guys are wild. I love, <laughs> love guys, talking yeah. to them. Uh, one of the things I love about John, every time uh, he calls us, you know, he like, I was like, who is this? Is this Ethan, you know, Chris? And we start talking and he's like, you guys are crazy. You guys are wild. <laughs> and he just, every time he just comes in with like the best energy. And I just, I appreciate those guys so much. As you can tell, it was, I mean, those guys are just fun to talk with. So really glad that we, uh, really glad that we were able to have that conversation and you guys got to experience it. So I hear, um, expect to hear more from them um, in the spring and hopefully we'll have them on again. Absolutely. I could not agree more. So uh, thank you for listening to that. Uh, thank you to our producer, Drew McFadden, for continuing to put together these episodes, um, especially the interviews. There's a lot of moving parts for getting these down and getting them well packaged for you to listen to. Uh, and to the listeners out there, thank you for your time and attention um, and your affection as well. Very, very important. Uh, and if you'd like to support us, you already know all the ways to do that. Uh, we've been, you know, ringing in your ear for the last 79 episodes how to do that so you already know how to do that and uh moving forward for episode 80 and beyond ethan we have some cool plans um as we said at the top of this episode um this episode comes out the day before the taylor hawkins tribute in la which we will be at and uh, i believe the plan is for the next few episodes to um kind of uh kind of share some of the experiences that we're about to have at this show, um, our reaction to the show, uh, the performances and everything, and just kind of the the environment and the impact that it has and the road to the show and the aftermath, um, you know, on the tail end of the show and the people that we met and the experiences that we've had. And, uh, you know, I think you know, we're going out to L.A., never been out to L.A. Uh, together, certainly. So hoping to connect with some cool people out there and uh, make some memories and, you uh, uh, have some stories to share with you all uh, yeah. in in uh, in the coming coming weeks here on the podcast. So really, really looking forward to that. It's kind of funny sitting here uh, the Tuesday. You know, I fly out in three or four or five days on Saturday. Um, yeah, I'm really excited. I'm looking forward yeah. to this. And yeah, this comes out, and we'll already be we'll be out there, Ethan. We'll be together. Yeah, I'm really excited to have some good quality time uh, with you out in California. But it's yeah. gonna be cool to kind of offer up some some content. Yeah. surrounding that time together i think we'll be really energized for the next few episodes hopefully to have some on the road um behind the scenes type stuff which i'm pretty excited about so yeah yeah it's gonna be cool so yeah, really looking be on the lookout that. for that and 
who knows? You know, who he like every time me and you get together in a different city, something happens. Yeah, it's it's and, never it's never the cities that we actually live in. It's, it's no, always all we, over the place. Yep, there's Boston, then Chicago, then New York, New York and like we've yeah. had we've had some some big things pop out of those. I mean, that's where we made yeah. you know, our first connection with Kafaro was in when we were in Chicago and absolutely. When, you know, a lot of Lederman, this is yeah, crazy stuff. So a lot of who good knows? Happening. So we're, who knows we're what can happen to, uh, in LA? Yeah, we're hoping, hoping to get in the mix a little bit and uh, make some good connections to continue to uh, share in this passion that we all have. Uh, you know, we're not we're not really concerned with being social media personalities and figures. We just want to have good conversations and share an art together. Uh, that's yeah. why we're here. I mean, everybody always has everybody always has an angle. We you know our angles. The only our angles the music man. The only angle we may have is to get into shows for free. That's it. That's it. That <laughs> that's is it. it. That's the only angle. You're right. Yeah. That's so we the have, only we thing have we one ask objective. For. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, but it's good though. Cause then we talk about the shows. So right. invite us our, to your shows, everybody. It's a simple handshake deal. You yeah, know what that's I mean? It. <laughs> that's um, what it goes down to. But so before, I guess technically, yeah. so we have right now, we do have two playlists that are being built for the road that we're listening to yeah. um, but we have another playlist that we add to every week and we have two new entries for the songs of the week um so without further ado i think we just knock out the episode 79 songs of the week yeah let's bang um, i'll go first i'm, I'm actually kind of caught between two i, I um, am as well i'm stuck in the middle to uh <laughs> to quote Steelers <laughs> wheel not my song of the week but i am stuck in the middle i'm gonna go with my my gut and yeah, I'm gonna go gotta with do it. Steely Dan, "Dirty Work." <laughs> oh, you bet! <laughs> and I just, dude, I put, I put this on um, on the way home from a concert the other day, and I was just, you know, I just needed energy, and it just came to me. It has that incredible, you know, piano like, like almost sounding like a woodwind type of melody, and it's just beautiful, and you know, the harmony and stuff, and uh, just a classic, just an absolute classic. And um, I think we love the the scene from. The scene from The Sopranos where <laughs> when Tony's driving the car Tony's... and he's singing along, he's a fool to do your dirty work. I was I was hoping you so would mention good. that because if you didn't, yeah. I was about to. Oh yeah, so I think that that song just it's just great. Yeah. And well, I mean that song's great because I mean there are I mean times get hard and sometimes you are afraid to pay the fee, so you're, you're always gonna try to find somebody who will do the job for free. That's just how it goes. I mean we've all I'm putting been there. all the playlists. I'm putting all oh, three absolutely. of them. Oh, absolutely. Just book it for everything. Um, that one, that one definitely deserves it. And um, you have you I have to say I love that pick for song of the week. Um, I think every single playlist needs some of the Dan in there, so I really appreciate that. Um, you almost inspired me to uh, go with a double shot of the Dan, uh, seeing as I'm sitting here on double shot. Not Tuesday. a bad idea. But uh, yeah. I decided to um, kind of stick in the same era and go to another stalwart of the era, along with the Dan. <laughs> I'm going with Bob Seger. We're we're going right to oh, night moves. Yes. Night Let's moves go. for the song of the week. Um, it's like my, oh, I love that song it's so, so much. Good. It's so and, good. And we're firmly in, in autumn here in the United States. And, uh, you know, it's late September. And this song is just the perfect, perfect. It's just the perfect song. I mean, who cares the seasonality? It's a it's a song for all seasons. And it's there funny. It yeah, it's funny how the night moves. And uh, autumn is closing in. And um, God, I love this song. My friends and I in high school were obsessed with Bob Seger. And we used to listen to him incessantly back in the day and in and, and the various motor vehicles that we uh, borrowed from our parents or, or purchased ourselves. And um, 
Yeah, Bob Seger made a lot of made a lot of memories to his music, and uh, he deserves to be represented on the songs of yep. the week playlist. So I added him on all three as yeah. well. So both these songs Hell got yeah. put on all three. Yep. Yeah, we're um, pulling out all of the stops here. Yeah, it's um, these playlists are great. You know, all I three of them. them. They're yep. really great. And They're I can't diaries, wait to basically. Yeah, can't it's wait cool to post them. Post them on the thing and let everybody know that you know. Listen along with us. I wonder. We should do like a Spotify live or something. Can you do, I don't even know what that is, <laughs> but just, I hear people talk open about up a it. radio station. <laughs> Fuck it. We'll spin all of the songs. We'll definitely be doing a when this when this episode drops. We'll be doing a live in the car. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, we're gonna do we're gonna do a, no try doubt. to do a podcast episode from from the car. Well, that too. Yeah, and we'll go live from the car. Yeah, that's let's, what do, I'm let's do it all. You know, let's do it all. That's the thing. I mean, like it's it sickens me that we would go and try to live in the moment when we're really there just to get content. So. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe we'll just be silent, who knows. Yep. We'll see, but it's all it's all good. It's uh it's that that good feeling that you get when you have a lot of opportunity to have good experiences and make memories. It's that that good anxiousness that's starting to build up in me, and, and I'm sure it's uh, starting to get there for you. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> well, Chris, I think well, that, that wraps it up for episode 79. Yeah, take crazy. it easy for all us sinners. Yeah, man. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening, for coming coming and sticking around till the end. Uh, that means a lot. That means more than, that means more than, I don't know, probably. That means more most, than most, most things. Yeah, I would yeah. just say any like or any type of you know, if you're listening to the full length of a an hour and a half podcast, as far as the, you deserve, you deserve to hear some secrets or something. There's got to yeah. be something that we can do for you in the future. But well, I wonder, I wonder if you guys does everybody listen to the the bloopers that come on the after the credits and stuff. I, or ho- I hope Place? they do because there's always some good stuff too. on there. We just had one on episode seventy eight, so yeah. Um, let's hope that let's hope that they do, and if not. Um, so if you if you didn't know that, don't leave um, don't leave early. Don't cut out before the the bloopers come in. But yeah, we dismiss you, not the bell. All right, Chris. All right, rock hey, and roll. Uh, yeah, I'll rock see and you roll, Saturday, everybody. man. Ethan, I'll see you soon, brother, and uh, everyone out there. We'll talk to you in October. Uh, next episode coming up October third. That'll be episode eighty. So in the meantime, uh, take care, be well, uh, love you all, and uh, rock and roll. Stay heavy. See you guys. stuff because drew our producer he was my guitarist in in my band for or our band all through high school and then a little bit in college we played and we would come back and play shows for christmas and and summer anytime i'm back for an extended period of time and he's an excellent excellent guitarist